We love your word, and we ask, Lord, now that you would reveal yourself through your word, as you always do. Father, I pray that you would speak mightily, and for all the mothers who are in this place today, I pray, God, that you would create a sense of love that only you can bring, a love that surpasses all understanding. And for those of us who have mothers, and I pray the Lord enable us to love them to a degree that we've never experienced before, a degree that only you can enable us to love. So Lord, be with us today, and especially in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Today's scripture text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Again, the text is inside your bulletin, so you can just read along with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Well, good morning, everyone, again, and happy Mother's Day. It is certainly a joy to be with you all this morning. And I accidentally told Metzger, Happy Mother's Day. It was not intentional, but nevertheless, you could pass that on to your mother for me. I find it all fitting, very fitting, I think, uh, in this, my last sermon before my six-week TDY, that I am preaching on Mother's Day. Of all the people in the world who appreciate mothers, I know with great certainty that no one appreciates moms the way our military personnel do. Uh, They are the very backbone of our military, and because they are, in a sense, they are also the very backbone of our nation. And while husbands are away on deployments or away for temporary duty, moms stay behind. They have to stay behind to do the hard work of essentially two parents. So therefore, I'm going to, if you don't mind, personally take this opportunity to publicly thank my wife for what she will have to endure for the next six weeks. Thank you, Michelle, for being an outstanding mother to our children. Thank you. And if some of you don't believe that being a mother is hard work, either wait until you have a few of your own or listen to this survey by salary.com. And this was back in 2011, so just... Factor in inflation and cost of living, and, and, but, but listen to this. According to Salary.com, stay-at-home mothers should be charging $115,000 per year for their work. <clears throat> and again, if you adjust the current-day cost of living expenses, that amount should be a bit larger. To al- arrive at that figure, researchers examined 6,616 mothers and attempted to value their work by breaking down motherly duties into 10 separate titles. And according to the survey, the typical stay-at-home mom works almost 97 hours a week and spends 13.2 hours as a daycare teacher, 3.9 hours as household CEO, 7.6 hours as a psychologist, or perhaps a chaplain, 14.1 hours as a chef, 15.4 hours as a housekeeper, 6.6 hours doing laundry, 9.5 hours 
working on her computer, 10.7 hours as a facilities manager, 7.8 hours as a janitor, 7.8 hours as a driver of the family van. For so many job titles, a nearly 100-hour uh, hour work week and a six-figure annual rate, mothers are probably the most valuable laborers in our country today. But they go about their business often without being thanked. So I want to take this moment for all the mothers out there, regardless of your age, thank you so very, very much. Words cannot express our gratitude. In the Bible, God is God the Father. But there is an instance where God captures the universally known love of a mother and conveys his love for his people on analogous terms. In Isaiah 49, 15, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she would, should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Two weeks ago, I was at the hospital for the birth of um, Captain Westberg's child, and it was a beautiful reminder to me of the truths behind Isaiah 49.15. There is a strong and instantaneous bond between mother and child, and words cannot express it. It's a universally known bond, a strong bond that needs no description. And I can't imagine a higher love. But the word of God this morning says that God's love for you is even greater than a mother's love. So if you're sitting here today and you've, you've come in wondering if God loves you, maybe things aren't going well in life right now, and you're wondering, does God love me? The answer is yes, but it is an astounding yes. He loves you far more then you can imagine this is how much God loves you if you're a believer in Christ this morning. He loves you more than your mother loves you. Now this morning's text is taken from the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and there are four integral parts to this text. First, the text contains a command. Second, there's a qualifier to the command. Third, there's a moral basis for the command. And then finally, there's a promise. So let's unpack all of this this morning and dig into the Word of God. Let's begin by examining command. The command is one that is virtually universally known. <clears throat> virtually every culture around the world believes that it is morally wrong to disobey one's parents. You could be born in South America, in Asia, in Europe, in Japan or the United States, it does not matter. Everyone universally and inherently believes that it is right to obey and honor one's parents. Such universality proves that there are absolute moral laws. And the existence of such laws then proves the existence of God. Why? Because moral legislation simply cannot exist without a moral legislator. In fact, the very fact that this country has a judicial system is powerful proof that God exists and that the Darwinian notion of survival of the fittest simply does not work outside the theoretical world of public liberal arts colleges. So how do we innately know that it is wrong to disobey our parents? 
or lie or steal or commit adultery. It's because there is a God and this God has written his law upon every human heart. The Bible tells us this. Romans 2.15, they, referring to all humans everywhere, show the work of the law is written on their hearts, even if they've never had a Bible. God's law is written on their hearts. Their conscience bears witness. Many atheists have become believers on this very fact alone. In fact, the bright uh, Oxford professor, C.S. Lewis, became a Christian for this very reason. He couldn't get over the fact that there is an absolute moral law, and so there had to be a God. There most certainly exists a right and a wrong, and though we may verbally deny it, none of us could function without it. Every society functions with an implicit declaration that there is an objective moral law governing our world. And this morning, the law is to command, uh, the law is a command given to us by God to obey and honor our parents. As Christians, however, we have a more and sh- a more sure and authoritative source for determining right from wrong. We have the Word of God. Not only does our conscience instruct us, that it is right to honor our parents, but the Bible informs us this as well. And ultimately, all morality is founded and based on the Word of God, because natural theology, or general revelation, if you will, can only take us so far. Consciences can be seared. And in an age where there is so much moral ambiguity, where abortion is legal, we can and should thank God for his unchanging moral standards. Amen? But today the apostle goes a little further. In the very first verse of today's text, Paul commands us to obey our parents and says it is the right thing to do. Do you see that right there in the first text, the first verse? But he doesn't stop there. Notice how he continues. And interestingly, he goes on to uh, to cite Exodus 20.12. Now, doesn't that seem odd? Why cite the Ten Commandments? Wouldn't it have been sufficient for Paul, an authorized apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to simply give a command and finish it there? I mean, he could have simply said, Children, obey your parents, for this is right, because I, Paul, the inspired apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, says so. Period. He did that in other places, so why did he feel the need to cite the Decalogue here in Ephesians 6.2? Well, for starters, it demonstrates that our God, the God that we worship, is the same God of the Old Testament. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the same God who was in the garden, the same God who carried Moses and the Israelites through, the same God who is with Daniel in the fire in Babylon, and he is the same God that we worship this morning. There is certainly a a definitive continuity. So we have to get rid of this notion. We see all these atheists, Dawkins, and these guys saying crazy things about how the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the New Testament, how the God of the Old Testament was a harsh, authoritarian God, and Jesus in the New Testament is a soft and loving, almost motherly type of God. We must get rid of that notion immediately. 
We serve the same God, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But second, it shows the binding nature of the Ten Commandments. As I preached in an earlier sermon, with the exception of the Fourth Commandment, the other nine commands are still obligatory. And I'm not going to get into it too much in this message, but the reason why the fourth commandment is no longer obligatory is because the New Testament explicitly abrogates it in Colossians 2.16. Since Christ has come, Christians find their Sabbath through faith in Christ, and the observance of the Sabbath day was merely a shadow that pointed to Christ. And once the reality of the Sabbath, capital S, Christ, came, capital S, Sabbath. So in Christ, the ultimate Sabbath was realized, and once he came, the shadow was no longer necessary. And ever since the Sunday resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christians have always worshipped on Sunday instead of Saturday. This is why, for example, as Christians, you see Chick-fil-A is open for business on Saturday prior to coming to the coming of Christ, working on Saturday, according to Exodus 31.15, was a sin that called for capital punishment. But because of Colossians 2.16, you might be sitting and wondering, why do we worship on Sunday when the Sabbath is really Saturday? The answer is Colossians 2.16 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. He resurrected on Sunday. And the church, since the day of the apostles, have worshipped the Lord on Sunday. And because we read texts like Colossians 2.16 and also in Romans, we are no longer required to observe three different Sabbaths. The Jubilee Sabbath, which was one year in 50. The Sabbath of the land, which was one year in seven. And the Seventh-day Sabbath, which is still observed every Saturday by Jews all around the world. All three Sabbaths are no longer obligatory for us as Christians. Colossians 2.16 is also the reason why Christians do not observe festivals of the new moon, the Passover, or the Jewish Pentecost. It is also the reason why we could eat bacon and shellfish. So don't let anyone fool you into thinking, oh, you Christians pick and choose whatever verses or commands you want to obey. That's not the case at all. There's a rich theological reason as to why we are free to do these things that seem to be contradictory to the Old Testament law. And so given in, even in the uh, time of, of, of the Apostle Paul, the, the, the Apostle warned of false teachers known as Judaizers who demanded Christians in those days to observe all Jewish dietary laws, festivals, circumcision, and even the Saturday Sabbath. And some of the Galatian Christians were beginning to be fooled by these false teachers and they were starting to observe all of these Jewish feast days and months And to these Christians, the Apostle Paul wrote the entire letter of Galatians. And so a lot of times we read Galatians and we're we're wondering, what is he talking about? Faith, we're saved by faith and not by works. Is Is he talking against Catholicism here? Galatians was written against Judaizers. That's the historical context of that letter. And in that letter, Paul says, he sternly warns the Galatian Christians, and he says, quote, You observe days and months, season and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, or you could add kosher laws, or you could add feast days, and so on and so forth, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law, end quote. 
So evidently in the New Testament, Christians are no longer obligated to keep the entire Mosaic law. Instead, we are to find our rest in Christ. And I thank God for that. I don't know if you know, there are over 600 Jewish laws. And even the most pharisaical Jew had a hard time keeping all of those laws. Paul's message and Peter's message in the book of Acts was a very liberating but simple one. Christ saves, the Mosaic law does not. Remember, you are a believer of Jesus Christ. But I want you to listen very carefully. While we are no longer obligated to keep Sabbath or kosher laws, at the same time, the new covenant does not allow us to pick and choose willy-nilly whatever biblical commands we want to obey. You have to keep that in mind. Inciting the Ten Commandments in verse 2 of today's text, the Apostle Paul does something very powerful here. The Apostle Paul demonstrates to us that the Ten Commandments, with the exception of the Fourth Commandment because of Colossians 2.16, are still binding upon Christians today. So unless abrogated by the New Testament, God expects obedience. All the requirements for burnt offerings, sin offerings, grain offerings, dietary laws, Sabbath laws, have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. If you've read, the, read through the entire Bible in a year, you go through parts of Leviticus and you're thinking, wow, do I have to do all of this? And here's your answer. It's been fulfilled in Christ. He is your perfect sacrifice. And we thank God for that. And just as the Levitical priesthood is no longer in existence because of Jesus, so likewise, many of the Mosaic obligations are no longer in existence because of Christ. But as we look at today's text, clearly, the fifth commandment is still obligatory. And we know he's citing the fifth commandment here specifically from the Decalogue, specifically from Exodus 20.12, I should say, because the promise is also quoted as well. And so here's what we've learned so far. First, we've learned that Ephesians 6.1 contains an explicit command from God to honor our parents and obey. Notice the interchange. He starts off by saying, obey your parents, and then he quotes, and it says, honor your parents. Well, what's going on? Well, often we honor our parents by obeying them. The same thing with God. We honor God by obeying God. Second, so it's not just Mother's Day, it's every day, right? And it doesn't matter how old you are, you continue that. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But second, we've learned that the moral basis for the command is Exodus 20.12, and that nine out of the ten commands are still binding upon us. Now third, let's take a look at the qualifier to the command. Yes, there is a qualifier. We are not commanded to obey our parents' carte blanche. It is important for us to know the phrase, in the Lord exists in this text. The qualifier reminds us that God is higher in authority than our parents. In other words, and I'm going to be blunt here, we are to, we are to obey our parents as long as they command us to do things that do not require us to disobey God. So if your parents command you to do something that conflicts with what God commands you, then you are to disobey your parents and you are to obey God. That's how that works. 
And so in a world full of parents who are less than ideal, this is a very important principle to remember. And the principle applies to all relationships with every authority figure. I tell my children all the time, when I drop you off at school, the teachers are in my stead. They are your parents for that specific block of time. They are your authority figures. And the fifth commandment extends to teachers. It extends to every person in authority over you. And to the best of your ability, you are to honor and obey those authority figures that God has placed in your life, provided they do not cause you to sin against God. The Bible never ever calls us to obey sinful commands from sinful authority figures. Keep that in mind. You have to understand that. In those kind of situations, we are called to boldly disobey. Never obey a sinful command. Love your parents, but always put God first. Now finally, let's look at the promise. For those of you who are honoring your mothers every day, there's a promise for you in today's text. Look at verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, Paul could have just stopped there, and that would have been sufficient for the point that he was making, namely, honor your parents, but he doesn't. He goes on, and he quotes the rest of Exodus 20.12, and he says, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. With the words, so that, in verse 3, Do you know what God just did? He established causality. Do you see that there? In other words, if you faithfully obey God by keeping the fifth commandment, then it will go well with you as you live long on earth. Now, folks, before you start accusing me of some false health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, I'm just giving you straightforward Bible. That's the text. It is a drastic promise for every believer. Now, does this mean that everyone who honors his parents gets to live a long and prosperous life? Of course not. There are always exceptions, and verse 3 is merely a general promise. But keep in mind, it is nevertheless a divine promise. And remember that exceptions do not make the rule. Generally speaking, Christians who honor their parents will live long. And because God is the one who made the promise, he will see to it that they will also prosper in what they do. It is not something you name and claim, but it is nevertheless a general principle that we can bank on. So as I close, I want to make two very important points. Point number one, as with all of God's commands... We never obey in order to gain God's love. God loves us because of Jesus Christ. We are saved simply by faith in the gospel. I want to make that very clear. You are not saved by obeying your parents or by obeying the Ten Commandments or by obeying any other law that God gives. You are saved and loved because you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are saved by faith. Now, what is the gospel? It's a very simple message. Number one, there is a holy God who loves you. 
But the same holy God is a God of justice, and therefore, although he loves you, he must send all sinners to hell. Number two, we're all sinners, and we're all deserving of hell. And that's bad news, because we cannot save ourselves. We are full of sin. And once you understand that, point number three, the good news, becomes great news. Because point number three declares that Jesus Christ, and I would say, I would put it in in, in the classic biblical way, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, and he loved you so much that his son, Jesus, died in your place on the cross. And after paying for your sins, he declared, it is finished on that cross. Three days later, he historically Not mythically, he historically resurrected from the grave so that 2,000 years later we are still sitting here worshiping him. If you repent and believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. That's the gospel. And the moment you believe in that gospel, you are a son or daughter of the living God, never to lose his love. It's the same way with mom. Moms love you in a manner that is unconditional. Doesn't matter what you do, she still loves you. Which leads me to my final and second point. I realize that we live in a fallen world. And there are mothers and fathers who are objectively very difficult to respect. It's true. I've, I've heard many stories, talked with many different people. And many of you might have parents who are very difficult to respect. There are parents who've done some hurtful things. Some have done even criminal things. To those of you with difficult parents, I want to say, first of all, that God is a father who will never disappoint you. His love will never fail. I want you to understand that and let that sink in. You may have been abandoned by your parents. You may have been abused by your parents. But God is telling you right now that that wasn't ever supposed to happen. That was not his desire for your life. He hates that sort of sin. And he loves you with an undying love. And he showed it by dying on the cross for you. So this Mother's Day, regardless of what type of mother you had or maybe didn't have, I want you to understand that the perfect parent is God. And His love is real. But with, with, with regards to those of you with mothers who are still alive, and they are still difficult, I want to tenderly urge you to figure out perhaps creative small ways to honor them. Now, some of you might say, well, Pastor, you have no idea what she did to me. You're right, I don't. But I know that God loves you. He died for you, and you are his. And the God who prayed for his enemies while dying on the cross tenderly urges you to forgive your mother. For some of you today, Mother's Day might be celebrated not so much with a lunch or a dinner. Maybe it starts in a very quiet place in your room with a simple prayer 
that begins something like this. God, help me to forgive my mother. Maybe that's how Mother's Day begins for some of you. And I know that story is real for a lot of you, so I want you to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, take that first step. Maybe the best way to honor your mother today is by praying for them and asking God for the grace to forgive them. Some parents are indeed hard to honor. And Scripture doesn't hide that fact. The Bible is filled with parents who were very difficult to honor. But nevertheless, the Word of God is here for us today. And the promise is also given to you. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your Word today. And I ask you, Lord, for your Spirit. Because we understand that this world is not the way it ought to be. And until you come, Lord Jesus... It will never be 